and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the Doctor Amongst Men, Duncan Joyce. How's things, Duncan? Hello, Lee. Very happy to be back. How are you doing? I am excellent, although going a little bit crazy locked in the house like everybody else. How about yourself? Yeah, there's lots of new things having to negotiate with that, but it's it's fine so far. Um it's not disrupting my working life all that much. Oh man, I'm um out of work and with the kids at the moment. My wife's working full time from home, so I'm spending all day trying to keep the kids quiet while she makes phone calls. Oh, and gosh. no work and no football is making Homer go crazy here. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening in my house. <laughs> As a uh, the the positive to it is, I've had plenty of time to watch shows for the podcast, and I've been out and got myself NBA Two K Twenty for something to do, and I've smashed through that this week. So, um, having to keep myself doing something so I don't climb up the walls. Wow, nice. Um, our internet went down temporarily on Wednesday, which was a bit scary um, and a bit annoying because I had to work on. Uh, from my phone data, I'm like, oh, Jesus, am I going to be stuck like this all bank holiday weekend? But luckily, things all worked out for me yesterday. Luckily, so we're able to record because you're back up online, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, we're, we're back into it. I've actually been looking forward to this. Um, as I said, I've got a rare opportunity to catch up on all my shows. I managed to watch both days of WrestleMania. I've caught up on Dark Side of the Ring. I watched the Edge documentary. I'm ahead on everything. How about yourself? You had plenty of time to squeeze in some wrestling? or I've mostly been squeezing in. I got this uh, offer for this Amazon channel we have here called Stars Play. I've been watching some of the stuff on that. So they've got... Um... This comedy show called Party Down about these actors that uh, set up like a party catering, uh, like waiter kind of uh, service and all the crazy places that they went to. Uh, the new series of Doom Patrol based on the on the Vertigo comic. Mostly just got it because it's only 99p a month for three months and we wanted to see the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. Because we went and watched the, uh, the the actual good Wicker Man and wanted to compare the two. Very nice, very nice. That's how they suck you in. Get something good on there that you want and then you just never bother to de- unsign up or <laughs> yeah. cancel or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm on all of them because of that. Yeah, I'm a little bit behind on, uh, on the docs and stuff. Um, I saw uh, Drew McIntyre's one after the night one of WrestleMania. But I've not seen Edge's one yet. I've not seen the preview of Taker's one. Um, and I've not seen the Untold on Rodman and Malone yet. Oh, the Untold's good. It's a quick watch. Um, the Edge one's really good. I've not bothered with the first look for Undertaker because I'll just wait till it actually comes out properly and watch it all in in one go. I think. Mm. <coughs> but no, Mania was good. I enjoyed the Boneyard match, and I enjoyed the Fire Fire Firefly Funhouse. Um, some of the in ring stuff was good. Some not so good. I think no crowd really exposed a few of the the workers which ones were really a, a step above and which ones weren't quite there yet but overall it was a nice release and something to watch while we're all stuck inside yeah um i'll be organizing doing a review with kyle at some stage but i, I think overall it was just an easy watch um even when i had complaints about it it didn't really stop me having something to take my mind off things 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, I managed to check out your breakdown in your house review with Kyle as well. Um, that's right in my wheelhouse, mid to late 98. So I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, and yeah, quite enjoyed the episode overall. Thought it was really good. So if you've not listened to that yet, guys, go and listen to that too. Oh, yes, please. Thanks, Lee. Uh, but today we're here to wrap up, put a bow on our TNA versus WWE second coming of the Monday Night Wars storyline. Um, and Duncan's suggestion was we go out with a bang and we check out Bound for Glory and its closest competition, which was Hell in a Cell, uh, coming from October 2010. Are you excited for these two shows, Duncan? Yeah, I mean, obviously going into the poll, I had my personal preference um, of going further back, like to before the rivalry, but this is definitely a pair of shows that's not without incident. Um, so I, I, I have a few memories of, of a few things uh, that I was excited to see again, and yeah, um, it's going to be exciting to talk through them. Very much so. I'm looking forward to picking your brain about parts of this because this is definitely outside of my knowledge base for wrestling. Um, to catch everybody up to where we are, Hell in a Cell comes from the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas, in front of a smallish crowd of 7,500 people and a buy rate of 210,000 for um, October 3rd, sorry, 2010. And Bound for Glory was 10-10-10, which they'll beat you over the head with during the show. And that came from the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach in front of a smaller crowd of 3,500. Not big crowds for wrestling here at this point in time. No, it was relatively big for TNA. I, I didn't realise the house for Hell in a Cell was that small. But that arena is quite decent looking and it doesn't come across that there's they're not in uh, seven figures for the. Hell in a Cell opens up with a video package focusing on Undertaker and Kane and Randy Orton versus Sheamus, the two title matches, both to take place inside the cell. Yeah, video package was interesting, a voice with a lot of gravitas. Um, couldn't quite put my finger on who it reminded me of, but definitely added a lot of weight to the package here. What did you think, Duncan? Um, yeah, I just felt it was funny how we reached lockdown a few months back and 
that was a video package from a perspective of the cage, and now here we are at Hell in a Cell, and we've got a video package from a perspective of the cell. Um, yeah, the, the cells here talking about how it's his two favourite sons, and then he's going to bring out the worst in the serpent and the warrior. Um, I didn't really pay much attention to the voiceover guy. Did you find out who it was, then? No, no, just... Um... It just nagged at me. It's sounding very familiar, but I don't know who it was, actually. Um, voices of people we do know, though, the commentary team, our favourites. It's going to be Jerry Lawler, Michael Cole, and Matt Stryker. <laughs> oh, tension at the table again is uh, going to come to the fore, I believe. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> um and our opening contest, speaking of like a, a bit of a mishmash and a clash here, is a triple threat United States title match submissions count anywhere. Um, this sounded like a good idea on paper, but I, we'll go through it in a, in a moment. But uh, immediately I just thought, is this just going to be an excuse to do submissions outside the ring? And that's pretty much what it became. It says exactly what you, you want on the tin. <laughs> Michael Cole is in his really irritating anti-Daniel Bryan phase here, and he just annoys the shit out of me very early in this match, calling him a nerd and so forth. It's just the play-by-play guy shouldn't be ragging this heavily on any competitor, especially not someone who hasn't just done something evil. But yeah, it just bugged bug me very early. I think this is one of Vince's worst experiments that he has persisted with. He tried this like, way back, like seven years before this, trying to have coach take over and be heel play-by-play guy and it didn't work no it definitely didn't coach and i'll snow we're never gonna replace the king and jr at the booth i'm sure you notice miz is mr money in the bank here yes that's for the other two he so miz lost the title to brian at night of champions i was about to say the month before but i think it is literally like two weeks before or something ridiculous like that yeah, because this is very early in the month of October, so that makes sense. Yeah, it's weird hearing Brian coming out to the regular Ride of the Valkyries. Yeah, not and nowhere near as over as he would be later on as well. This is very early, Daniel Bryan. The crowd's still getting used to him here. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see if there's a pattern with Brian at this time. He'd come out of a match way more over than he would be coming into it. Um, and we'll see that play out. Morrison, incidentally, was one of those people that helped send uh, Y2J packing, and we'll get to the other one in the next match too. Very good. Uh, Miss cuts a promo before the match on both of them. Nothing really spectacular here. The match gets uh, started, and he eats a drop kick and then a leg kick from Daniel Bryan before it becomes an outside brawl. John Morrison locks on a tarantula, and Stryker calls a move here very early, cattle mutilation, and very smugly says to the commentators, look it up. And Lawler fights back with, I'll look up cattle mutilation. It'll probably be Matt Stryker's commentary and I popped hardcore. <laughs> I made sure to make a note of that line too. I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> Go on, Jerry. <laughs> Morrison pops out a beautiful corkscrew moonsault and then a corkscrew plancher. The, uh, they brawl into the crowd for a little while. Various submission attempts and breakups through the crowd, which as, as I said earlier, was unique, um, but it did, get old for me pretty quickly uh, it was a bit of a one-trick pony miz hits a skull crashing finale on the floor john morrison jumps off the stage onto both men 
beats on the Miz a, a little bit before locking on a Cloverleaf. Alex Riley comes out from the back to break it up and save. And then Daniel Bryan sends him packing and locks on the LaBelle lock on the ramps to see Miz tapping out on the ramp. This was, to me, a decent opener, but it was almost like they just wanted the visual of Miz tapping out on the entrance ramp and they threw away logic and, uh, I guess, a... Uh, the heartbeat of the match to come to that ending. And I put here, it's very much like something we'd play on SmackDown versus Raw rather than something that makes sense for a really hot opener. I didn't mind it, but that's probably, I guess, my my um, little bugbear with it. What did you think, Duncan? I thought this was great, really. Um, I loved all the action involved. And like you say, this is a very strange stipulation, but I thought they made it quite exciting. There were some really great holds. Um, some of the ones that I liked were Morrison busting out Charlie Haas's House of Pain. I thought that was a nice little rarity. And Miz did a dragon sleeper around the stair rail, the handrail. I thought that was quite decent. Kind of like when uh, Sasha and Charlotte were doing that when they had a false count anywhere match. Yeah, personally, I thought this was way better than anything we had to close out our storyline with WWE before TNA buggered off and, and turned tail and ran. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, I, I guess on this one, we'll probably have to agree to disagree a little bit. You liked it a lot more than I did. I didn't hate it, but very interesting uh, there. We'll see how that plays out in the ratings towards the end of the show. Mm. We get the Don't Try This at Home advert, and then we go into another title match. This time it's a WWE title on the line inside the Hell in a Cell. Um, this is something else that in the, I guess even to this day, because there's two titles now, but really bugs me, is I hate having two world titles and meaning relegating one of them to like the second match on the show. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but it just annoys me. I always wanted them when they abandoned single brand pay-per-views the first time. I really wish they would have done like one that's all f- mostly themed around, say, Raw, but featured SmackDown and the other lot. So like you could you ensure that one brand's title is the main event, and then the other brand's title is saved until next time, and you, you know you can just plug in feuds that it makes sense to blow off at that point in time on the show. I personally just wish they'd have one title, one women's title, one tag title, one men's title, and they can be defended on all shows. And then, you know, when you've got, say, I mean, the amount of time Brock's away with the belt now, anyway, it wouldn't really make any bloody difference. But if, say, Brock's the champion for both and he's in a feud with a Raw guy, then on the SmackDown show, just have the Intercontinental title or the US title headline that show. It's on the network anyway. They're not going to lose buys, but I just, yeah, I don't know. I hate two titles, personally. <laughs> That's what I did with my action figures when I was um, fantasy booking stuff. I had a, a a world title between brands, I had an intercontinental title between brands, and then I had brand champions in between, and then the tag titles were in between brands as well. Absolutely, and you've got automatic stories. If you've got the the US and the Intercontinental champions are automatically like top contenders for the for the world belt, then you've got plenty of storylines built in when you want to just fall back onto something without having to create a big story for it. But I digress. That's just my personal opinion. The video package here kind of showed this one up to be a bit of a two week feud, didn't it? Uh, they really, I think, showed every piece of action between these two that has happened so far. This was this was the point in my notes where I went. Night of Champions was two weeks ago. 
<laughs> and these guys started feuding then, and it's already inside Hell in a Cell. This is why you shouldn't have themed pay-per-views. <laughs> well, the the last time they went one in one, uh, one on one with each other was actually at SummerSlam, and Sheamus deliberately got himself DQ'd, and for some reason, Night of Champions was a six pack match that was where Orton won the title, um, and yeah, they they've spun it off back into this rivalry now. Orton wrote Jericho off of television by punting him in the head, which I think they highlighted in this package as well. And I thought it was funny hearing Seamus brag about retiring Triple H. <laughs> oh, man. Imagine if he'd actually stayed retired. You and Kyle would have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I actually fully on your breakdown ep- episode expected way more heartbreak over Triple H's knee injury but he, he let me down Kyle did <laughs> well I don't think we were expecting him to be on the show whatsoever because that was that was a big trip for me they'd even bother plugging that he'd have a match when they know his knee's completely fucked oh when they come out to announce him for Survivor Series in two months time on that on that timeline oh it's one of my favourite moments Pat Patterson trying to say Hunter Hearst Helmsley on pay-per-view is just amazing <laughs> Uh, this is the point of the match where, or the, the show where we realize that we've got the new and improved, um, and yes, I'm doing quotation marks like a dickhead, uh, Hell in a Cell, which I absolutely loathe. I hate this new cell, still do to this day. My only issue with it here is really they make it far too tall so that it's obvious that yes. no one's going to do anything off it. Well, I mean, I guess until Shane McMahon comes back, but... Yeah, you'd think no one's feasibly going to do anything on top. No one's feasibly going to do anything to fall off it and stuff. Here's an idea. Let's take away the best bumps from a match and then have them five times more often. That'll really get it over. Like, yes, I know they're huge, spectacular bumps, but that's why they should be saved for the once in a, you know, once in a year blood feud that needs a blow off. Well, yeah, I mean, at the start of this match, Michael Cole says that this is the 20th Hell in a Cell match in history. It's like 20 matches in 13 years. It's it's ramping up a wee bit too much. The previous year, when they first debuted this concept, they had three cell matches on the same pay-per-view. Yeah, it's just it's too many. It really does spoil the the specialness of the match. But it is what it is. We go into the start with a with a stare down between the two of them, and we get an RKO chant from the crowd. So he's got a little bit of support there. He busts out just, a clothesline. Uh, Sorry, go on. Just to break it up there. Um, you're mentioning the start. They do the super special like boxing introduction in the ring, and it makes zero sense. Yeah, it's um, it just this doesn't have the weight behind it. This should have just been a normal match and just saved the cell for the main event. Yeah, yeah, but, okay. Um, we get a couple of clotheslines from Orton and a knee drop, um, and then he um gets a slingshot shoulder block. They brawl along the outside and throw each other into the cell a little bit. Um, Seamus hits some strikes and starts to beat down on him for a while and hits a pretty nice gourd buster under the steps which looked pretty impressive before working over the ribs for a while he locks on a bear hug um, before Orton comes back with a back suplex a drop kick, a power slam and a belly to belly for a two Seamus fights back with a knee lift uh, brings the steps into the ring to slam Orton onto and gets a two uh, we get a spike DDT on the floor and then Seamus does his um does a backbreaker on the steps. I'm not quite sure what the point of doing a backbreaker on the steps is, Duncan. Can you fill me in on what impact that would have? 
Right, exactly. I'm, I'm with you here. I put that in my notes too. The, the Irish curse on the steps makes zero sense whatsoever. It just um, makes it a bit noisier. If anything, it could hurt Seamus's leg. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, at least it's picking up. The, I think the, the spell just before you got to those spots, it was getting a bit too methodical when it was based around the bear hug. But it did bring up this absolute gem from Striker. He called... Randy Randall. Yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> and and, and commentary was like, fuck are you doing? And he was like, eh, I got caught up. He's just a fucking idiot. There's no two ways around it. <laughs> we get a bro kick for a two count. Um, some chair shots to the back for a two count. Orton hits a, a RKO, but Sheamus rolls out of the ring. We hit a bro kick on the floor, which gets a two. And then... A, Orton hits an RKO onto the steps that are still in the ring, four or three. In what was an okay match, um, not too bad. I didn't mind it. I just, again, like it just, it wasn't ready for Hell in a Cell yet, but they made the most of what they had, in my opinion. Yeah, um, like it didn't really quite hit the intensity of a classic Hell in a Cell match, but I thought this was pretty good overall. It needed a little more venom, but. Orton looked way more assured and energetic as a babyface than the last time we were seeing him on the podcast. So I still enjoyed this a fair bit, really. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat there. We then go to Josh Matthews with the NXT Season 3 Divas. Congrats to Randy Orton for retaining the WWE Championship here tonight at Hell in a Cell. Ladies and gentlemen, we're off to an amazing start and... Well, speaking of amazing, my guests at this time are the NXT Season 3 Rookie Divas. On my left, Jamie, Naomi, and Maxine. And on my right, AJ, Oksana, and Caitlin. Ladies, this Tuesday night is very important for all of you because one of you will be eliminated from NXT Season 3. Caitlin, I'll start with you. How nervous are you for this Tuesday night? Well, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that Where y'all going, huh? I mean, there's six of you. And after tonight, there's going to be six of Nexus. There's something in the air tonight, Josh. I can feel it. Wait, no disrespect intended at all, but many people are saying that what's in the air tonight is the end of Nexus. John Cena beat you, Nexus has to disband. And you heard what our anonymous Raw general manager said. If any member of Nexus gets involved in your match tonight with John Cena, John Cena will win automatically. So, Wade, with that said... I don't like it. I don't think it's fair. But I'm fully aware of the GM's ruling. Now, everybody knows that I'm more than capable of beating John Cena on my own. I'm going to win tonight, Josh. And then tomorrow night, we're going to have a very special gift for John Cena. Show him, Tarver. Right now, John Cena is against us. But after tonight, I promise you, John Cena will be Nexus. Yes, it's been skipping through the seasons really, really quickly here. So season two had already wrapped up and... Oh, what, what was Loki called in WWE? Caval, he was the winner. And his reward was an intercontinental title shot at Survivor Series. 
Oh, interesting. <laughs> I, <laughs> but I um, actually loved Loki before, like in the early like his TNA days. I thought he was amazing. Oh yeah, what was he? Um, Senshi was it? Was he? Where was? He? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was thought he was a decent hand. Really, he was around in New Japan when I started watching New Japan, and he dressed up as Agent Forty Seven from Hitman, and I loved that. From there, we have Ricardo Rodriguez bringing out Alberto Del Rio for a promo, um, and Cole absolutely busts a nut on commentary. Michael Cole talking about Alberto Del Rio here. He must have been channeling Vince McMahon talking about Shawn Michaels. That's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> I cannot believe he put a chihuahua in a Rey Mysterio mask to brag about defeating him. Yeah. <laughs> this... um. 2000s Ted Mexican Ted DiBiase gimmicks not for me um, it's very outdated he's bragging about the fact that he got rid of Rey Mysterio and Christian and this brings out Edge they exchange some words they're about to throw down but Jack Swagger comes out to interrupt um, they start to beat on Edge after a cheap shot and then the anonymous general manager beeps this whole segment is just screaming this is why you don't watch wrestling in 2010 um <laughs> It's yeah. This really screams like you've only had two weeks to build to a pay per view. Let's put some filler out there. We have Edge being told he has to apologize for breaking the laptop that was the Raw uh, anonymous general manager tomorrow night, and we get a referee out to have the match now. So Alberto was just yeah out here to waste some time. As you said, they didn't have time to write a three hour show. So let's throw a bit of Alberto in the middle. I know, I started writing match free Alberto Del Rio versus, and then I realised, oh wait, he's not going to wrestle. Oh. The match does get started, Edge and Swagger that is, and Swagger works over the ribs and hits a gut buster for a two. A body scissors, it's all Swagger early before Edge fights back with a big boot and hits a like that Edge sort of side stroke kind of move that, it, that he's hit a lot over the years. I don't know what it's called, but gets a two with that. He hits the edge for a two. And then Swagger gets on the ankle lock. Edge manages to send Swagger out to the steps. Um, he misses a drop kick for two. And then I've got here Jerry Lawler says, um, whenever I miss a drop kick off the top rope, it always hurts my ribs. And that cracked me up pretty well as well. <laughs> Swagger hits a belly to belly off the top rope for a two. A back suplex before Edge comes back with the inhaler. Jack Swagger hits a gut wrench powerbomb for a two. Edge misses an enziguri, and then Swagger locks on the ankle lock. Edge escapes and hits him for the spear for the one, two, three. In again, like it was a serviceable match, but no real heat behind it, and nothing that I was all that excited by. Yeah, bang average. This had some flawed execution and a couple of good ideas. I especially loved the abdominal stretch in the ropes, and then the spear that got turned into the doctor bomb. That's quite nice. Just before the belly to belly superplex, did you notice Edge tripped up the cameraman? No, I didn't. I didn't notice that. Oh, proper comedy of errors there. <laughs> From there, we go backstage and we see Nexus without Wade Barrett this time, uh, chatting about having a backup plan. Otunga seems to be the leading voice here when Barrett's not around. Um, I, I guess the the storyline here is they don't have faith in Wade Barrett beating John Cena one on one. Mm, yes, dissension in the mist. God almighty. <laughs> it's so weird going back and thinking that David Otunga is like the the 
big breakout lieutenant of a of a hot faction. Hmm. Cena's is full of shit in his promo saying, oh, the Nexus nearly ended my career. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. He beat four of the Nexus's members in a gauntlet match to get the right to this match. What a way to fucking kill a stable, man. Yeah, I know. He certainly did them no favours. Um, John Cena and the Nexus, I'm glad I wasn't watching it this time because I think I'd really hold ill will towards him because I really loved Wade Barrett. But um, reading, uh, was it maybe in Jericho's book about how he killed them and didn't let them go over in their first big match? I think it was at SummerSlam, maybe. Um, it just, I was like, oh God, I'm glad I wasn't watching then. I've definitely heard that story from Jericho. That was probably the first book of his I've still not got yet. So I've not seen it firsthand, but yeah, I have heard that he really took issue with that. Him and Edge were trying to lay things out and Cena was just, just determined to do that stupid spot. And then we get classic 2010 ring announcement here from Tony Chimmel because it's John Cena. <laughs> I, I, I love how he's revived that in AEW. So now we get yeah, Moxley. <laughs> Brilliant! It's amazing how some commentators just have the like their guys that they make it really sound amazing for. Was it was it Chimmel as well that did the really good one for Edge? Yes, it was. Yes. So they've all got their their ones. Um, Cena bus, uh, gets the best of the early exchange with Wade. Um, Cole busts out his old Taz days line um, the, with the pound and ground from John Cena early. Um, I remember in the early 2000s, people going nuts about how it's not pound and ground, it's ground and pound from UFC. That I don't know why that used to drive people on the internet nuts back in the day of internet wrestling community. Yeah. What, what would drive me nuts about early Taz was he'd talk about pin covers like, yeah. What? Oh, quick pin cover call. <laughs> like, it's either a pin or it's a cover. <laughs> Make a choice. Oh, no, that's great stuff. I love it. Um, <laughs> we get uh, the Nexus come out, but only to distract early. And then Wade Barrett's not happy that they're out. Tells him he's got a plan and pushes them back. We get a backbreaker for a two and a top rope elbow for a two before the crowd get behind John Cena. And then the older male version of the crowd fight back and we get the dueling chance, which became a staple in John Cena matches for a while. Get a couple of shoulder blocks from Cena, the spinning powerbomb, and the five-knuckle shuffle. And then out comes Big Show and the rest of the locker room to beat on the Nexus and chase them away. We then go into a... We get a pump handle drop from Barrett for a two and a boss man slam for a two. Cena hits a top rope Famouser, which won Billy Gunn a king of the ring, but he's only good enough for a two here. <laughs> but- <laughs> um, Michael Cole, um, around this point in the match, he was like, oh... Wade Barrett's really hanging in in this match. I'm like, don't sound too surprised. <laughs> he's supposed to be your next hot heel. Yeah, he's um, certainly not being sold as being on Cena's level. We get a, a Wasteland for a two, and then we get a, um attitude adjustment for a two from Cena as Barrett gets to kick out of the AA. Um, and I'm sat here... <laughs> sorry, my notes are all over the place here. <laughs> I was sat with my, my youngest daughter, Brooklyn, and as Barrett hits the wasteland, she just goes, stop it! <laughs> and then Cena fights back and hits the AA, <laughs> and she looks at me and goes, he got him, Dad. 
<laughs> I just reread that on my notes and went, what was I smoking and realized exactly what had happened? <laughs> See, <laughs> she's, she sounds like a, a grizzled vet already. She knows exactly what's going on here. <laughs> a bit of Vince McMahon commentary there because he did not get him. He had to lock on an STF. <laughs> Cole screams for the tap out um, for um, the ref to stop for anything. Um, He's basically calling... Um, sorry, I've completely lost myself there. We get a fan come into the ring and the ref um, stops to check on him. And while that fan is with the referee, someone else comes in and nails John Cena with something. I put here because the camera angles were really a little bit all over the place. This allows Barrett to pick up the three. And um, Cole's commentary here was really lackluster. Come on, ref. There was a guy. <laughs> <laughs> And I just put in my notes here. It, it, it wasn't just any guy. Do you know who it was, Lee? Um, it looked suspiciously like a very husky gentleman that may have fought John Cena recently. <laughs> yeah, that was the guy that hit him with the shoe. And the fan that went in the ring the first time was Michael McGillicuddy. Ah. When Cole busted out, come on, so, come on, ref, there was a guy. I put in my notes, just put Brooklyn on commentary. <laughs> Honestly, she could do a better job. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, don't, I don't know if we um, mentioned this, but the, the Nexus were forbidden from getting involved in this match. So Barrett had to secretly recruit some new members, and McGillicutty and Husky Harris were from season two of NXT, and they'd go on to be permanent Nexus members after this. Ah, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, I recognize. Um... Oh. Wyatt as he turned and got into the crowd, but it was all the camera angles didn't yeah. really give us a good show. I guess it was designed to, to be almost like there was a fan running in. Um, not a bad finish, but again, like I guess you know, Cena can't lose cleanly to anyone. Yeah, I mean, th- this was pretty solid overall. I thought the, the quote unquote chain wrestling at the start was embarrassing. I thought some of Cena's pound and ground, as we called it, was a bit embarrassing. This was just really fascinating for me to see because this was kind of like the early days of Cena trying to lead a match as opposed to having like a like like an equal dance partner or, or someone to guide him through stuff. It wasn't anywhere near as smooth as he'd become in later years, but it had some decent back and forth, even though Barrett didn't quite come across on his level, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Cena really elevated him here, and I believe, um, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this whole Cena joining the Nexus thing lasts about two minutes and uh, doesn't go anywhere. It's, uh, yeah, they, they have two pay-per-views with him in the Nexus. The, the second one, he, he refs the match, he lets Orton win, and so he gets fired from WWE completely and then miraculously still appears on Raw every single week despite being fired. It's a, it, it's a pretty infamous crap angle, really. Um, did you hear there are a couple of smarks that were trying to get a You Deserve It chant going when seen as all being a sad panda? Uh, no, I didn't. At the end of the match? I did not notice that. <laughs> <laughs> 
from there we go to John, uh, sorry, Josh Matthews interviewing Paul Bearer. Um, a bit lame for this me. I'm a huge Paul Bearer fan, but it was it was too normal. It wasn't Paul Bearer enough. Um, yeah, it just didn't quite do it for me. I want the over the top hokey Paul Bearer. They tried to make up for that with the special effects. Is he, he was just hanging around somewhere spooky and purple. Yeah, a couple of lights and a smoke. A smoke machine do not replace. Ooh, yes! Oh, my Undertaker! <laughs> I'm happy to see him back, though. I think Undertaker and Kane in the main event, Hell in a Cell, title on the line with Paul Bearer involved. Uh, I'm there. Mm. We get a Make-A-Wish commercial uh, sh- focusing on all the the huge numbers of wishes WWE superstars have granted over the years. I know since then, John Cena's done a whole lot more and I think is the, the number one of all time. So they do a really good job with Make-A-Wish. Absolutely nothing but praise for them and this commercial showed them in a really good light. Oh yeah, the, the, the company put Make-A-Wish on the map for me. I hadn't heard of them until WWE got involved with them. From there, we go to Natalia taking on Michelle McCool for the... Divas Championship, which she supposedly co-holds with Layla. They each carry a belt out, which is an interesting kind of being girls gimmick, I guess, if nothing else. Yeah, the unified Divas Championship. Layla um, distracts Natalia earlier, uh, early, and Michelle hits a clothesline. We get a snapmare and a body scissors. Natalia comes back with a backdrop and a discus clothesline. Michelle hits a belly to belly for a uh, two count. Natalia locks in the sharpshooter. Um, but Layla throws in a shoe and this is enough for the DQ ending. I really lay men to, I've got to say what was turning into a pretty decent match here. It was short, but they were, the moves were on point. Um, and Matt Stryker ruins any goodwill I had towards the match when he goes, she's a real heel. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. (laughs) Uh, this this was going going places that had been given you know eight or nine minutes and a less stupid finish it could have been decent yeah this is solid for the time with a cheap finish it, it kind of felt more like a tv match um it's just the same old really with michelle in this time don't really give her enough time to bust out some great stuff with another great worker, really. Natalia's discus clothesline is one of my favourite moves of hers. She just does it so swiftly. Yeah, agree. Agree. From there, we go to our main event, which is The Undertaker challenging Kane for Kane's World Heavyweight Championship. We got a cool video package focusing on the return of Paul Bearer. Um, Undertaker was sort of down and out and given up and Paul Bearer comes in to lead him to victory so I really like this video package what did you think Dunk? Yes uh, nice little catch up on the feud here so Undertaker he got injured by Rey Mysterio but they played it off like he was left in a vegetative state from a mysterious assailant who turned out to be Kane Kane cashed in money in the bank and became world heavyweight champion and then Taker challenged him for the title at Night of Champions, but lost clean as a sheet. Um, and so, yeah, Taker's all dejected and stuff, and then the door opens and Paul Bearer appears. And, yeah, this is an interesting place to take this rivalry, really. Nice little full circle moment. 
before the match gets underway, Paul Bearer goes back into Paul Bearer mode and cracks me up with, do you need me inside? Asking The Undertaker if he should be in or outside the cell before it's locked. Well, no, Taker just turns to him and just, like, wants him out, and Paul's like, you need me in here! <laughs> Cracked me up. Uh, did make me think there might be something screwy to come later on, though, so stay tuned. Yeah, dissension. Kane jumps him early before the door's locked, and they brawl around the outside. Um, Undertaker, as they get back in, hits the snake eyes and a big boot. Kane hits him with some chair shots, and they brawl along the outside of the ring. Kane works over the... Sorry, yeah, go on. The um, Undertaker's very noisy, uh, and when he gets Kane up for the snake eyes, he does a big old boom! <laughs> the Undertaker going in full Lex Luger mode. <laughs> Kane works over Taker's leg with a chair. Undertaker hits the apron leg drop and sells it a little bit. Uh, we get a low drop kick from Kane, which was quite cool. And then locks on a leg lock, and they exchange punches to the crowd, booing and yaring, which always cracks me up when that happens. Uh, Undertaker goes for old school, but gets crotched by Kane. Kane hits a superplex and a top, lo- a top rope clothesline. Undertaker locks on the Hell's Gate, and they both hit each other with a double boot at the same time, and both sit up at the same time. Classic Taker and Kane spots. Taker hits a DDT for a two and a choke slam for a two. Kane hits a choke slam of his own for a two. And then Kane goes for the last ride, um, and it's counted. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm, my notes are all over the place today. Sorry, Kane goes um, for the last ride, but has it counted. And then Kane hits a tombstone for a two, nails the referee though. The refs come out to um, to collect him, and Paul Bearer comes into the ring. Kane stalks him. Undertaker hits him with a choke slam, and then we get. Pyro and purple lights, and Paul Bearer shines a light from the urn into Undertaker's eyes, somehow blinding him. Gives Kane the urn, who nails the Undertaker, then hits a choke slam and picks up the one, two, three. With Kane turning on the Undertaker once again. What did you think about this match? I um obviously really liked it and thought the ending was quite fitting for for these two guys. But what did you think? I thought, for the most part, it was kind of lumbering and cumbersome, really, uh, to be honest. Another cell match that didn't quite feel like a cell match. The The story was the big attraction here, and the in-ring work that went with it was just a bit too substandard, really. Like, I don't know what it was, but when Kane hit a superplex, you could kind of audibly hear the disappointment in the crowd, and... I don't really know what was causing it. I guess like people were just expecting more from this, and um, but I, I guess as Michael Cole put it, it was a physical battle, and there wasn't going to be anything pretty about this. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was definitely a physical battle. Um, I don't know. That's I, I just yeah for me, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it's classic Taker and Kane. So I guess this pay per view's been a bit of a mixed bag because it's divided opinion a few times now. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel, again the the finish wasn't really my cup of tea, and I thought it was way too soon to do this turn. Yeah, I'll definitely give you that. I guess this is where me going and watching the shows in isolation helps me avoid some of that. But if you've been watching along or you know familiar with the storyline, then I could definitely see why you'd think that. Mm. 
Overall, though, I thought Hell in a Cell had enough good on it to make it enjoyable, and I didn't struggle to watch this one. So, um, not bad. A slight thumbs up for me on Hell in a Cell. What did you think, Duncan, of the show overall? thought the first hour was really good overall. It lost a bunch of momentum when you hit that Alberto Del Rio segment and then kind of started to slowly wither away a bit after that. Cena and Barrett was kind of solid, but still a, a wee bit wrong. And Yeah, I, I, th- I think the big thing that we've mentioned that's holding this back is he had two cell matches, and I don't think either of them really felt like they lived up to the gimmick fully. can definitely see where you're coming from on that one. That will wrap up Hell in a Cell then, so should we head over and see whether or not Bound for Glory can put a put down a, a stronger marker than Hell in a Cell did? Peace God. Peace God, now the shit is explained I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane It's like that job, it's like that job We've been talking a few times about wanting to have like a more of a, a book or a literature kind of thing. This morning, I just finally got around to finishing the Nitro book that came out a couple of years back. I've been tossing up whether to buy that one or not. So can you give it a recommendation for me? Absolutely. It's really, really fascinating. And it's, it's really, really good helping you build up the insight into kind of the inner workings with how WCW worked with Turner Broadcasting and all those kind of relationships that's going on around it. So you have go from Turner and Warner's merger and then the AOL Time Warner merger and just everything that's going on. And there's a really, really crazy story about this, uh, this one a woman who turned up near the end and almost ends up leading towards a coup where her and JJ Dillon and Jerry Jarrett are trying to take over running WCW. I'd never heard this story before in my life and I was like, what is going on? I will have to check it out then based off your recommendation. Um, I guess I heard about it on the Eric Bischoff podcast but didn't buy it because... To be perfectly honest, I've been really burned out with the advertising on the Comrade podcast. I've got nothing against advertising on your podcast and making some money out of it. In fact, if people want to throw money at me, I'll litter this podcast with ads. But I find it really disingenuous, the whole, we don't talk about anything, we don't personally use ourselves, spiel they give you all the time. And I just can't imagine, okay, work with me on this for a moment, Conrad, JR, Arn Anderson, Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard and Tony Schiavone basically this year have all gone out and bought fresh new shavers to cut their ball hair before taking a heap of dick pills, giving their wife a Steven Singer rose and laying them down on a new purple mattress to get laid at night. Like, just fucking stop with the ridiculous. We use every product and we stand by them advertising. Wow. (laughs) I've only heard a sample of this back last, last year. Um, 
the only episode of Jericho's podcast I ever went out of my way to listen to was the John Moxley one, and I found that adverts pretty cringing. That I think that was the first time that I realised how cringy some of these adverts can be in podcasts. Yeah, I and I'm very happy that I'm doing this as a hobbyist and don't have to rely on them. Oh, absolutely! Like I don't mind throw ads all through your show; it's fine. It's just the whole like I think JR's the worst for it, just beating the drum on. We use everything we talk about. We use everything we talk about. We won't sell you anything if we've not used it. You have to trust me. I'd never lie to you guys. Like it just it really rubs me the wrong way. Like I'm sorry, but I don't believe that these guys use all this shit. Mm. Anywho. But based on your recommendation <laughs> in any event <laughs> yeah go check out Nitro with the incredible rise and inevitable collapse of Ted Turner's WCW by Guy Evans I got it on Kindle I'm, um, I'm very much an old school book guy so I will order that on Amazon cool and now TNA Wrestling presents the biggest pay-per-view event of the year Bound for Glory. Tonight, live from the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida, TNA presents its annual spectacle, its biggest and its most important event of the year. Who will take possession of the TNA World Heavyweight Championship? Mr. Anderson, Jeff Hardy, or Kurt Angle? We'll answer that question tonight on 10 10 10 at Bound for Glory. All right, so Bound for Glory, um, as we talked about before, coming from the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach. Um, and it starts out with a rainy video package. I say this because it's pictures of the guys with rain coming past them. Um, and it's very much reminded me of a WWE video package that would have an Evanescence song over the top of it. <laughs> this is all recycled from I think when they were in Bound for Glory for Chicago lots of that not that one which would be the other way around <laughs> when they were in Chicago for Bound for Glory I'm with you. <laughs> they do get lots of people into the video package so plenty of spotlight to go around um, and it's a vastly different crew to the last time we saw TNA Duncan because all the ECW guys are here now EV 2.0! EV 2.0! Yeah, um, I'm not quite... What does EV 2 stand for? God, I have no idea. I I literally think they came up with this name just to try and and match the cadence of ECW. Like, just to match all the syllables. and, And then, like, worried about it later. Fair enough. Um... Taz and Mike Tanay, of course, on commentary. And I put the stage here for the show. Actually looks pretty cool. So the setup, not too bad for TNA here. It does look a little bit more slick than normal. Yeah, I loved this too. It's basically these three independent screens that raise up and down like curtains. And they do all kinds of little tricks depending on the wrestler. Like they could come out from the left or the right or the center. And it's really, really neat. And it's got a whole bunch of stage lights behind them too. Lovely, lovely setup. Much more sophisticated than lockdown. Absolutely. Um, first matchup is Generation Me, a.k.a. the Young Bucks, taking on the Motor City Machine Guns for the Guns Tag Team titles. Um, this is going to be hard to comment on because I don't know most of the double team moves that are taking place. So bear with me as I sound like a bumbling moron trying to read through what happened here. 
<laughs> well, speaking of bumbling morons, Motor City Machine Guns got a really, really big reaction despite Jeremy Borash announcing them seemingly as the TNA World Tag Team Chickens. <laughs> what? I miss that completely. <laughs> I don't know how he managed it, but it was way worse than you ever hear Tony Chimmel pronounce champions. No, I can't say I have. He can't do it. He's like, uh, World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Chippian. <laughs> or anyone in WWF try and say narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is a really fast start. We get a cool Enziguri from Shelley. Uh, the gun tip, some cool variations on the old poetry in motion, jumping off each other's backs. Um, we get a lot of double team moves and a lot of double dives. The crowd are very happy. Uh, we get a double DDT off the ropes from Generation Me. They work over the injured neck of Alex Shelley. We get a cool double team backbreaker into a rolling neck breaker. Um, and then Alex Shelley hits double feet from the top rope, a la the coup de gras. We get a hot tag, believe it or not, despite all the action. And then Chris Saban works over both. The guns did a double team poetry, uh, sorry, tree of woe uh, drop kicks. We get a springboard clothesline. And then some four man fast double team exchanges. So, again, like. I don't even know if there are names to these moves and they don't really let them, I guess like my, my only criticism of this match is they don't let these big spots simmer for long enough to get the reaction they deserve. Did you see that as well, Duncan? Or do you like the just going from one to the other? Oh, I love the action, but I, I do feel that they kind of lose the overarching story of the guns having these head and neck injuries from Jemmy's attacks leading up to this. So it it feels like a really, really good match that's not necessarily obeying the storyline that they were presenting leading up to it. We get a springboard X Factor from Jeremy and a face plant for a two count from Max. Max hits a blockbuster. um, And then Jeremy hits a 450 and Alex Shelley makes a save. We get the four men in again. There seems to be no rules at this match. They're allowed to just brawl at will. We get some awesome double team moves from both. And then Chris Saban hits a top rope release German suplex, which was amazing. And then the guns finish the match off with a top rope crossbody with a neck breaker combination for a one, two, three. Um, This is the other, I guess, criticism I've got of this match. And let me say the action was amazing and I really, really enjoyed it. But, the finishing move wasn't as good as half the other double team moves in the match and lost the impact by those not being sold and this being enough to pick up the three. So uh, that's probably my two criticisms with it, but otherwise really, really good stuff and a great way to start a pay-per-view. Definitely, yeah. This was full of tremendous action. Um, I know I was kind of critical about them ignoring the the storyline going into this, but there was just enough aggression in the way the books were working that ensured that they were treated like heels and it wasn't just an everyone cheer for everything match. Just blistering pace, magnificent double teams. Again, like a, a, another really good opener for me, like, like the previous show. Absolutely. From there, we go backstage and Christy Hemi is with Tara and Madison Rain. I'll splice a little bit in uh, this in here just so you can hear the really classy skank and bitch promo that we get. Um, but essentially the story here is Tara, he's looking after Madison Rain. Madison Rain thinks they're busy mates and Tara's got an eye for the title belt. 
Madness looks like the plan of lifting the ban on Tara and allowing her to wrestle in TNA has backfired. Now, obviously, you didn't know that Eric Bischoff was going to book a match where every TNA knockout was going to be out for themselves, giving Tara the opportunity to be the new TNA knockouts champion at your expense. Hey, Christy, Bozo the Clown called. He wants his hair dye back, you phony bitch. Whoa. Okay, so. weren't you blonde and last week? Zip I mean it, pig. Okay, as far as my plan backfiring goes, never, skank. You see, I've heard all the rumors about Tara turning her back on me in this match tonight. Well, you and everyone else can keep dreaming. Yeah. You see, the difference between Tara and everybody else is that Tara is grateful for what I did for her. And Tara is indebted to me for life. Got it? And one more thing, speaking of skanks, Mickey James, you think you can just walk into TNA and become the new honey of the knockouts division? Well, I've got news for you, honey. There's only one queen bee in TNA, and that's me. Come on, Tara. Come on, Tara. Yeah, Tara lost a career match at some point while we've been away and uh, Madison Rain somehow given her this lifeline I think my favourite exchange in that promo um, was Christy asking asking Madison weren't you blonde last week and then Madison replies zip it pig <laughs> yeah actually Christy got a lot of brownie points for me for that comeback <laughs> mean gene oakland has some competition here we get a video package for the absolute mess that the state of the knockouts division is and the highlight of this for me was someone calling tara who was riding a motorcycle dyke on a bike really really classy stuff yeah <laughs> very very highbrow entertainment here um, like you say the knockout division is a mess probably because eric bischoff has what's the phrase here um delegated responsibility to miss tess macker to try and keep order and she can't even get her own name right she calls herself miss tess marker this is just utter shit uh, we've been critical of the knockouts division in the past but it, it's not any better from where we left it last time around i know um, sky interestingly enough basically calls out all the wannabe beautiful people, which is a bit of a jab at Lay Cool, I believe. Ah, interesting. Like you say, Lee, who the hell is supposed to be the face in all of this? Oh, it's just, this is just like four, you know, 11th graders arguing at recess. Yeah, it's no wonder they snapped Mickey James up as soon as they could. And Mickey... The match here, sorry, I'll, I'm going to come back to that in just a second, is Madison Rain defending her title against Tara, Angelina Love, and Velvet Sky from The Beautiful People. And Mickey James is a special guest referee, so you said they've snapped her up, but they've debuted her the same way WCW famously debuted Bret Hart as an absolute flop, bringing them in to referee their first match out. Hardcore <laughs> country! Oh, what was that shit? I, I guess she might... <laughs> yeah! I'm trying to think about when she would have been released. It was at some point after WrestleMania. Um, so I'm guessing she had some kind of six-month no-compete and they wanted to get her on the pay-per-view, but they couldn't let her wrestle or something. But um, incidentally, TNA had the absolute best way of debuting someone starting out as a referee. I don't know if, if you've heard of uh, Taron Terrell. 
vaguely. She was Tiffany in ECW, and she came into TNA first of all as the knockouts division referee and refereed for several months, but kept having loads of issues with Gail Kim, and then that eventually segued her to wrestling in the ring. And Gail and Tiff um, and Taryn had some absolutely brilliant matches, as you'd expect of Gail, really. Um, there was, I think it was a, a Slammiversary one year, there was a last knockout standing match that was really, really good. Oh, interesting. The only the only time I can ever think of anyone being well-debuted as a referee is Ken Shamrock. Oh, yes, that's another good one, yeah. We see a sign in the crowd, which is quite, it, it tickled me a little bit, I don't know why. Uh, terrify me. <laughs> and then, um, Tara and Madison Rain kiss during their entrance, which was, um, yeah, this shows you exactly what they think about the women's wrestling at this point. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. Um, Tanae is talking about, you know, Taz, with three challengers, you know they're going to be coming at every angle. And Taz quips, oh, they're going to be coming, all right. That was my next note. <laughs> that, again, just shows <laughs> what they think about this. <laughs> and then Taz, of course, has his let the pigeons loose line. <laughs> the beautiful people have to square off against each other as a result of a few tags early on. And Taz just basically makes jokes about fucking them all on commentary. <laughs> yeah, he calls Madison Rain Cinehot, you know, like cinema, Cinnabomb, but different. <laughs> really, really top notch commentary here. Uh. Um, so. The week before the pay-per-view, there was a live edition of Impact, and Velvet Sky and Angelina Love won a match to gain the rights to the beautiful people name. Ah, okay. I did not get that from this. Hmm. It's a bit kind of DX in 99, really, I guess. Yeah. The match itself has got some um, submission holds and a lot of botches. It's really not a good match. Um... Tara even jumps for a drop kick. Um, sorry, drops for a drop kick before it's even happened. Uh, we get a bulldog, yeah. a side slam, and all four in the ring. And then Tara with the worst ever roll up with the tights for a one, two, three. It was Austin Owen Hart level bad of a roll up. And that's the way the match ends, which I guess is probably, you know, on par for how the match started and the middle. Not not only that, it, the tights holding was right in front of Mickey as well. Yeah, this one was not good in any way, shape, or form. Um, Madison Rain's pretty pissed off. She sh- shoves Mickey James, the referee, who nails her. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much how this clusterfuck goes away. Yeah, real mess, really. Wrestling was so sloppy in lots of places. They kept the action going, but then the match just kind of seemed to collapse in on itself. Yeah, this there's nothing good about this, so let's move right along. Yeah. Um, Christy is now with Eric Young, who's drawn tattoos on himself. Yes, drawn them with, like, a permanent marker. Um, and then Orlando Jordan comes in. This is a weird but not funny promo. Um, the big punchline was, you know, Eric Young saying, I know you're by Polar. Like, it just was not funny. Lots of very stereotypical, oh, I'm going to take you under my wing, OJ. I'm going to make you a real man. 
yeah, not not good. No. And we carry on from there with when I say weird and not good, this next match you're gonna have to explain what the whole purpose of this was because it's Ink Ink, um, Shannon Moore and Jesse Neal taking on Eric Young and Orlando Jordan uh, in a tag match. Before the match gets started, Shannon Moore appears to have a official book of Dilly Gaff again. So again, I'm going to say to go out and get a book printed, you must give a fuck. <laughs> I had the exact same thing here. Moore's still got his book of Dilly Gaff after all this time. He clearly GAF about it. <laughs> and Eric Young has a book of his own. <laughs> this one made me laugh, actually. This was the, the one part of the match that did make me chuckle. He brings out the TNA rule book. Yeah, what's all this about? He clearly doesn't understand it from the way the match takes place, though, um, because he, <laughs> yeah, he obviously didn't read chapter three, subsection one on tag team matches. <laughs> well, okay, I guess again on this live impact before the show, him and OJ teamed against Ink Ink there as well. So this is a rematch from Impact. You know what? What a great way to boost your biggest show of the year. OJ won the match with a low blow and Eric asked for the decision to be reversed because he, he's a goody two-shoes and he loves his rule book for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> a bit strange. Um, Orlando Jordan at this point is going for like a, a bit of a Dennis Rodman vibe, but he's just not doing a very good job of it in my opinion. He comes across as like a pound shop Dennis Rodman to me. Taz, um, he was talking about OJ's like... Um, crotch or like taint region and he calls it the Bermuda Triangle area no offense to anyone in Bermuda yeah Taz is on fire here <laughs> Yambag City call <laughs> I'm sure at one point he busts out crotchal region as well <laughs> yeah Jesse Neal hits a crossbody and then Eric Young um starts high-fiving everyone and just being weird is my first note. The crowd seemed to like it, though, so let's go along and see where we get. Um, Eric Young and Orlando Jordan both get crotched, and you'd think that would piss off Eric Young enough to fight his opponents, but we'll see how that goes. Um, Jordan hits a spine buster, and there's lots of gold dust-type body rubs, which surely by this point in time is going to be outdated. I know. Well, that spine buster that OJ hit, by the way, it was a miracle he didn't bust his knee out on that. The landing was so sloppy. Yeah, Orlando Jordan's not exactly crisp. I know. Like, you look at the spine buster Triple H did where he tore out his quad, and you look at the spine buster that OJ did here, you'd think it would be the other way around. Eric Young keeps on stopping Orlando Jordan from doing anything remotely like cheating, so grabbing the ropes, etc. Um, and then he keeps on swapping between being the referee, his partner, and his opponent. So one minute he's like enforcing the rules like the referee, the next minute he's wanting a tag from Orlando Jordan, the next minute he wants to tag the other team and be part of their team. I don't know what he's going for, but it just comes across as really fucking lame. Right, and then eventually... He breaks one of his rules and he does a blind tag. Yeah, it's um, it's nonsensical. Um, he hot tags for the other team and then beats down his own partner. And then Shannon Moore comes in and pins Orlando Jordan. So despite reading the rule book, he doesn't seem to understand that he's just cost himself the match. Oh, God. Yeah, it, Ink Ink, their finisher was the combination Samoan, Samoan drop and Morgasm. 
Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, what the fuck was going on here? It felt like EY was trying to do three different gimmicks at the same time. You know, if he'd have focused on one, it might have been an okay kind of break and bit of respite, but the, the form it took here is just a flat out dud. From that, from that, like, clip they showed us of the match previously like you said on the live impact with him enforcing the rules like that he could have run with that and he could have enforced the rules and stopped his partner cheating but stopping your partner cheating doesn't like you can't tag in for the other team that's not in the rules and you'd understand like if your whole gimmick is I'm going to enforce the rules then you can't tag in for the other team and at no point would someone wanting his partner to work by the rules then go and beat on his own partner because what's the point of having the match then Right. From there, we go backstage. Christie's with Jeff Hardy now. Jeff Hardy's not, you know, never going to be accused of being the world's best promo. This one's just average. Nothing great here. Uh, talking about his main event match with Kurt Angle and Ken Anderson later on for the vacant heavyweight title. Yeah. He, he cites Daytona Beach. We've got a date and it's bound for glory. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Not the best. <laughs> <laughs> We next go to, uh, sorry, our next match is the title match, the X Division title. Jay Lethal's got the belt now, and he's defending against Doug Williams, the former champion who, of course, we remember getting stripped of the belt for being stuck overseas during the um, the volcano um, disaster, which was a pretty mm. shitty thing for TNA to do. We both agreed at the time. The same things happened with the current outbreak. We've got Jordan Devlin's been stripped of the NXT Cruiserweight title because he's stuck in overseas poor form poor form all around yeah speaking of poor form this is another rematch from that live impact yeah fair enough um i i can't imagine people wanted to see these matches twice in a week but that's just me yeah you know lethal won the x division title in his home state of new jersey and I think it was implied that Doug Williams has associated himself with Ric Flair's Fortune faction. So leading back to um, that time when Jay Lethal was imitating Ric Flair. Classic, classic stuff. (laughs) We get some chain wrestling early and Doug hits a short arm clothesline. Lethal comes back with a plancher. Doug hits a knee drop and a knee lift and a clothesline. We get a flying forearm, a drop kick and a leg lariat from Jay Lethal. And then Doug Williams hits a German release suplex for a two. Uh, The rolling chaos then for a two. And a top rope Rana before Jay rolls through to hit a sunset flip uh, from that Rana and pick up the one, two, three. This was okay, but nothing spectacular. And it certainly didn't warrant Jay Lethal running into the crowd to celebrate the victory. It wasn't anything epic like that at all. No, solid but didn't really get out of second gear. There was a couple of good counters, and I thought it was funny in the opening going, Lethal does the Owen Hart arm ringer escape, and Doug was still able to keep the hold. That never happens. (laughs) While he's in the crowd, though, he gets jumped by Robbie E and Cookie, um, gets hit with a cutter in the ring, and they cut a bit of a promo on the mic over him on the floor. I guess this is going to be the battle for New Jersey, this one here. It looks that way, yeah. 
we had a video package now for RVD and Abyss, and um, it's what if I didn't rewind on our, every decision RVD's made since joining TNA? But then, of course, he says, that's not how I run. I don't make regrets, and that's the end of the, the package. It was actually pretty well done. I didn't mind that video, to be honest. Um, Abyss, in his own words here, talks about how he ripped the flesh off RVD's ass. Yeah, I'll splice a little bit of his promo in um, after the video as well because it's quite good. Abyss, um, good character work here. And for some reason also we're told this is going to be his last match. To the point where Dixie told Eric Bischoff, I want him fired. This is his last you know, match in TNA. For months, I have prophesied about their arrival. is upon us! It happens once a century! And it will begin now with the destruction of Rob Van Dam! And will continue with the takeover as it has arrived! Yeah, um, he did something to Dixie Carter, and so that incensed her, and she told Eric Bischoff that he's got to fire him. Um, yeah, the thing about the story of this match is, so Abyss injured RVD with Janice, his nail uh, 2x4, and it was because they told him to do so. And the gist of it was... Van Dam was the TNA champion and they had to get the belt off him but um, he only had a certain amount of appearances in his contract and they were burning right through them so they did this injury angle where he could drop the title without losing and yeah it was kind of a bit of a rush job but it brought an intriguing angle I guess yeah absolutely um, and this, of course, is going to be the Monsters Ball. Um, just to remind everyone, as we talked about very uh, a lot earlier, the 10-10-10 is the date here. And the video package and the pr- the storyline here seems to be surrounded by Abyss promising someone's coming on 10-10-10. So we'll wait and see who that is. Um, hopefully it's meant a little bit differently to Taz telling us everyone was coming earlier. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> RVD gets started with a spin kick and has a really hot start um, the commentators reiterate the fact that Abyss will be gone after this match RVD hits a top rope kick and then a skateboard chair kick in the corner um, and bulldogs Abyss onto a barbed wire board which was quite sick um, pretty cool use of the weapons here um, in this one actually, some more good spots to come as well yeah I found it funny at one point they did uh, another there's like a table spot or something coming up later and the fans chant, this is wrestling. Yeah, I've got that on here somewhere as well. I'm like, uh, yeah, maybe not. Like, I'm enjoying this too, but this is definitely not that. Abyss moves out the way on the Rolling Thunder and RVD goes back first onto the barbed wire board, which looked pretty, pretty um, nasty as well. Um, they brawl along the outside. 
Avidi hits a rolling thunder over the top rope through a table. That's when the crowd chants, this is wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Nails Abyss with a Van Daminator. Um, Abyss throws a chair at RVD, who's gone up top, and he falls off the top rope through a barbed wire board, which would set, which was wedged on the ring apron and the barricade. That was a really cool-looking spot. And you can hear the ref as well. He's like, oh, my God, it's in your mouth. Yeah, it was nasty, that one. RVD stomps a board onto, uh, into Abyss and then hits the Van Terminator with the board. That was pretty nasty as well to be fair the guys held nothing back here he misses a five star frog splash and abyss goes to the commentary table and gets janice uh, rvd gets a gut shot on abyss with it um, and then manages to hit the five star for the one two three um rvd's very cool tna theme hits and that was a really good brawl and hardcore match i really really enjoyed it bear with me here one second because I'm going to compare this to the Cena and Barrett match. Okay, this is uh, going to be interesting. (laughs) I had fun with this match. I just couldn't look past the nagging feeling that it felt really, really one-sided in Rob Van Damme's favour. Like, Abyss is supposed to be the monster, and RVD just has absolutely zero problem going toe-to-toe with him, besting him in his trademark match and getting pretty much the vast majority of offense in this match. Now, the latter half especially was filled with some really, really impressive and innovative spots and some really nasty bumps. So I really enjoyed it overall. But again, I couldn't get over that little nagging thing at the back of my head. Yeah, I I definitely can see that. Um, I guess a couple of things about it. The one RVD had obviously cost... Sorry, Abyss had cost RVD his title and left him laying and injured him. So I guess there's an element of revenge. But um, I probably didn't think too deeply about it because I was still expecting somebody to appear during this match and didn't see the finish coming, if I'm being completely honest. Ah, yes. Well, he's, he's still telling us to get ready for them after the match, even though he didn't pull through with his end of the bargain, seemingly. Yeah, screams that into the camera, so we'll have to wait and see what happens later on in the show. Mm. We get a video package for the three-on-two match, which we're going to see later. And this one... Sorry, which we're going to see next, I should say. This one really confused me. I couldn't figure out from this video package what the storyline is. The heels all seem to be pissed off at Hulk Hogan. They're being called conspiracy theorists. Um, Hogan was meant to be in the match, but he's not for some reason. Jeff Jarrett and Samoa Joe are willingly taking on a handicap match. I just didn't understand this at all. What's going on? It's basically Sting's whole thing since we saw the the move to Monday nights. He knows that there's deception going around and he's just not said anything up until this point because he's he's just seen it all before and he's kind of fatigued by it. And Jeff Jarrett's kind of taking offence to this because he's the TNA loyalist, he's the founder and he's seen Sting's stance as an attack on TNA I loved Kevin Nash talking about how the people who get paid are the best workers and so Hulk is the best worker Yeah, that was um, very, very true to life, Nash opinion that one (laughs) Yeah, I got the impression this was supposed to be a a three-on-three match but uh, Hulk Hulk had back surgery and so yeah that's where Jarrett and Joe 
decide they're going to go into this by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a, a confusing one, but we go into the match anyway. It's Sting, Nash, and the Pope taking on Jeff Jarrett and Samoa Joe. Um, side note, I love Jeff Jarrett's original TNA theme song. I just, I don't know why, but I just dig this song. <laughs> we get some kicks from the Pope and a Samoa Joe belly-to-belly and corner strikes. Sting comes in and hits a Stinger splash and goes for a second, but he gets caught in the Uranagi by Samoa Joe. Um, it's a bit of an odd story um, of the three heels all knowing something being sold by the commentary team, as we just talked about. All three heels have been in, but only Joe. I'm starting to smell a bit of a rat here. Um, Joe gets put down by the three of them and crawls towards Jeff Jarrett, who does the old strike force, drop off the apron and not take the tag, allowing... (laughs) I got the same thing! (laughs) Allowing a three-on-one beatdown, which the referee seems perfectly okay with. There's no rules here. Before Kevin Nash decides to put him out of his misery with a jackknife and pick up the one, two, three. When Jarrett started walking up the apron... Nash um, addressed Joe. He's like, "Told you," and so Joe told him, "Fuck you," and just went all in to try and win anyway. But yeah, this one—it's—it's it's definitely a storyline match. But um, we'll have to see where it goes next. Yeah, there's little wrong with the execution of the wrestling, so to speak. But this is a hell of a lot of star power a waste on an angle and. Not even really a good one at that, to be honest. I thought Joe and Pope got off to a, a decent start, but it, it just didn't really go anywhere from there. Then we go backstage. Christy Hemmy's with Ken Anderson, and I just put here, oh, fuck, not more Ken Anderson, Kurt Angle. Like, I don't care what you're saying about Kurt Angle. I'm so sick of this feud. Uh, I put here, he then makes jokes about his nuts. Fuck off. <laughs> 3D then come out for a major announcement, um, and I got the feeling right away when they started talking that they were talking about splitting up or retiring. Um, they talk about how they've uh, considered the they've conquered tag team wrestling all over the world. Um, they're going to retire, but they want to go out with one more match. They're 23-time champions, and they list all the companies they've had belts in, which is quite impressive. Uh, and they want the Motor City Machine Guns because they say TNA's got the best tag division in the world, so they want the best tag team in the world, the champs there for their final match. They'll either retire as 24-time champs, or the guns can be the team that retires them. Mm. And then after that, Tanay and Taz get into a pretty heated argument about what the guns actually have to gain from this match. I don't think Taz really got the the plot here. This actually gets my dick move of the week because they effectively just both argue on air like a pathetic pair of children. Like, it's not... (laughs) They've just abandoned all, you know, working together. And this is not a Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan argument. This is just two petulant old men rowing with each other for no fucking reason. I don't think the guns have anything to gain. They're the champions. What? Uh, what? What do you mean they don't have they anything have, to gain? I mean, gain? they have nothing to prove. I mean, they're the world tag team champions. That's my only point. Wait a minute. Motor City Machine Guns, one-time world tag team champions. Right. Team 3D, 23-time world tag team champions. You don't think there's something to prove in terms of a measuring stick? You don't think there's something to prove no. in, in ter- terms of adding something no, Mike, to your well, resume? That's, that's even more of a reason not to compete against guys who have been to the dance and become champion 23 times. You don't want to... These guys win champions on a night off. Win championships on a night off, Team 3D. 
Last thing I'd want to do, if I'm Shelly or Saban, the Motor City Machine Guns, is get in the ring with Team 3D. But who knows? If they'll accept the challenge, I'm sure they will. But, but why wouldn't you want to prove yourself because against the most decorated tag team in the history of the because business? Because you have a better chance, if you're the Guns, to lose your titles. The key is not to lose your championship. Hello, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but at the same time, you're going to go through life always avoiding why? challenges. Why are you arguing with me Not about arguing this? arguing with you. I, I'm, I'm just, just bringing up the point. Take okay. on the best. Prove you're the best. I think it's that, a difference of opinion I think the have. guns have proved they're the best of the World Tag Team Champions. Done. Ah. Right, anyway, what else we got going on here? Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, they take me completely out of the moment, and... Definitely earned the dick move of the week for me. <laughs> a, a wee bit too much Shivani and brain as opposed to gorilla and brain. Yes, nail and head. <laughs> and then we go to our next match, which is Fortune taking on EV2 in a lethal lockdown. I don't know about you, but I'm not a, you know, I, I didn't love the idea of having a lethal lockdown and a monster's ball on the same show. Mm, yeah, um, I I kind of like the idea of this feud. It does feel weird borrowing another pay-per-view's gimmick for this feud. But, um, hey, there you go. Um, Flair and Foley are kind of one of the leading points of this feud, and they had a last-man-standing match on that live impact before the show. Interesting. They are definitely the focal points for this. A um, couple of the guys seem a little bit lost in the shuffle, but Flair's team, Fortune, is Beer Money, AJ Styles, Matt Morgan, and Kazarian. And EV2 is Tommy Dreamer, Raven, Stevie Richards, Sabu, and Rhino. Yeah. The, the gist of this going in here is that Fortune take pride in being the better wrestlers but EV2 feel like they're in their environment, and Foley says that Fortune's time will come eventually, but it won't be their time at Bound for Glory. And do you want to explain the rules of Lethal Lockdown here, Duncan? Um, it's essentially war games, so you have two men starting out in the ring for something like a five-minute period to begin with, and then every two minutes a new team member will come out. It's usually the heels that get the man advantage. And then once everybody's inside the match, the roof descends and a whole bunch of weapons are attached to it. And then uh, I believe it's pinfall or submission that ends the match. Perfect. Um, when we get started, Flair and Foley actually brawl before the match starts on the outside. And it looks like Ric Flair just walked right up to the camera and bladed, right, stood up right in front of it. Did you catch that? <laughs> yes. I'm like, of course, Flair blades immediately. I don't... Did you catch his interview backstage, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the Fortune guys took a turn um, before Flair, of course, being the star, gets to end it. My favourite line was Kaz calling the faces the stupid extreme antiques roadshow. <laughs> but I just yeah I couldn't get over I'm like did I just watch Ric Flair walk right up to the camera and blade like what is he doing <laughs> did I did I woo <laughs> did I blade on camera <laughs> no wonder he couldn't get away with it at Wrestlemania 8 but Brett managed to <laughs> oh god yeah oh man um, um go on sorry Fortune 
Fortune are very proud of their little hand signals, aren't they? Uh, yeah, it's just effectively the four horsemen signal with one finger dropped. <laughs> yeah, like some kind of crisscross thing, so that it's cool. Yeah. Um, Stevie Richards is in phenomenal shape here, isn't he? Yeah, when I saw he was starting this match, I was like, yeah, good choice here. He's he's one of the most put-together people on this team. Um, what was with Dreamers rebranding as like a cage fighter? Yeah, I don't quite get that, but anything to elongate your career, I guess. <laughs> um, Stevie starts with Kaz, um, and we get some a series of four neck breakers from Stevie Richards, which was interesting. Um, it doesn't stay in control, though, because Arian hits a springboard leg drop. The five minutes, which is the first period, are up, and AJ Styles comes in. I think they said Flair beating Foley on that live impact was the reason why the heels got the, um, the man advantage here. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that then. Yeah. We get a drop kick and a double team on Stevie. And then they lock on a figure four and um, Kaz holds Stevie's arms to stop him getting out. I thought that was a great spot, but they probably locked it on a little bit too soon because it was on for a while before the countdown came. And then they don't really have, like, you kind of think Stevie Richard should probably be out for the match with the figure four on for that long. Hmm. Yeah, I've not thought about that. I did love that spot overall. I, I didn't think about the timing. AJ w- was bragging like, that's for you, Ricky. <laughs> Never heard Flair called Ricky before. <laughs> Next into the ring is Tommy Dreamer. He hits a pump handle suplex, which Taz says he stole from him. Um, and stays in general control. It's only two minute periods here before the next person comes in now as well. Yeah, uh, I heard commentary talk about something I'd almost completely forgot about. The previous month, at, I believe it was Victory Road, AJ and Dreamer had an I Quit match that was actually really, really good. And AJ won it with a fork to the eye of Tommy Dreamer. It was brutal. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to have missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Robert Roode's in next, and Tommy Dreamer gets busted open on the cage. For the face team, it's Sabu in uh, as the next com- uh, next partner for them, and he's got no hair anymore. Yeah, um, I think his uncle wound up that way too. Um, just before Sabu got in, Roode and Raven got in a spitting contest oh, around it was the corner. Gross, from wasn't it? Oh my god. <laughs> It was like two 15-year-old boys. <laughs> well, speaking of gross, Tommy Dreamer is losing loads and loads of blood in this one. Yeah, not a huge fan of the really early Blade jobs. Um, we get a couple of poetry motion variations from Sabu and a springboard DDT before James Storm comes in for the heels. Um, the heels hit some good double-team moves, and the cage is starting to get a little bit crowded now with so many bodies in the ring. Yes, this uh, there's a reason WCW spread to two rings in their version of this match. Yeah, ten, ten guys in one ring with a cage surrounding it is hard to follow. Mm. Raven's an ex-baby face in, and he hits that really cool move where he bulldogs one guy and clotheslines another guy at the same time. Before pulling out I the, love that, yeah. the slightly less good Raven move of the snot rag. Wait, that was... That was a spot? 
<laughs> he pulls it out, blows his nose, and sticks it in somebody's face, and I cringe. Oh my god! Because Taz just started co- talking about it on commentary, and I was just like, "What the fuck is this about?" I guess I must not have looked up because I was too put off by what Taz was saying. <laughs> yeah, what was it? What were they talking about on commentary? Um, I I had a note here, and I've come, I can't read it now. So they were obviously wrapped up in whatever they were talking about. Well, we then get a a double tree of woe in the AJ Styles yam bag. Ugh, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's that's why I can't read my notes. I'm trying my best to forget. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Morgan comes in and power bombs Sabu into the cage um, and cleans house in general before the cleanup hitter for the babyface's Rhino comes in. He hits a spine buster, a belly to belly, at a gore as the roof comes down and gives weapons for everyone to work with. Flair and Foley brawl along the outside, and then we get weapon shots all over with the faces taking general control inside the ring. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a bit hulky that they waited for Rhino to finish his comeback before they descended the roof. Surely it should descend when immediately when everyone's in the match. Yeah, it was very well timed, wasn't it? <laughs> Stevie Richards and Kaz get um they get to the top of the cage, they escape through the roof somehow, and they set up a ladder and a table before we realise with all the weapons on top of the cage, was a hidden Brian Kendrick. How did he manage to stay out of sight this whole match on top of a cage? <laughs> what on earth happened? <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, they got out of the cage because Matt Morgan did a carbon footprint to the cage door when uh, Stevie he was trying to hit Stevie. And then uh, Stevie sent Kaz through it, and I, I thought that was pretty cool, but... Yeah, can you imagine it staying up on the roof of that cage all show long? I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with this for wrestling logic because when you when the camera showed him come out, he was effectively like hidden under a blanket, right? So that's why no one could see him. But if you were in the ring and yeah. you looked up, you'd see him, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, it's not quite so bright in this spot of the ring. What's going on here? Well, like, the blanket just stops you from seeing from above. It doesn't stop you seeing yeah. underneath the blanket, and he's on top of the cage. <laughs> 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 It'd be like h- hiding under a blanket, and there's someone underneath your bed, and you've got a see-through mattress, like, you know. <laughs> Maybe it was like a knapsack. Yeah, he must have rolled it around a couple of times. Um, yeah. Anyway, he um he puts Kaz through the table that he'd set up on top of the, the the cage, and then Tommy Dreamer hits a Dreamer driver off the top rope onto a steel chair on AJ and picks up the one two three. Um, I know you talked about them having their match and their storyline here. I thought Dreamer and the faces getting the win was fine, but I didn't think AJ should be the one taking that pin personally. Mm, yeah, I was looking for. Kaz and Kendrick were still alive after that ladder fall, by the way. Oh, yeah, that was pretty nasty. Don't set ladders up on top of cages. No. Personally, I preferred this to the lethal lockdown match that was on actual lockdown that we looked at. I was really digging the first portions of this, and it was only when you got the kind of diminishing returns of EV2's cavalry where it started to go down in quality a bit. So like when Sabu and Raven joined the match. I thought the sequence to get the cage open was actually kind of well thought out and it was just a shame that the roof spots didn't pan out the way that they wanted. 
Uh, the finish was a little bit rushed. Um, so it didn't really quite feel like EV2 earned the win. Um, I remember thinking at the time when, when I was following this feud that I much preferred the idea of this match to the actual match. But coming back and watching it here with you, I, I was pretty pleased to see that it had a little bit more meat on the bones as far as the in-ring work than I remember it. Yeah, I thought for the most part, the um, the ECW guys, who a lot of them were really looking their age by now, I thought they actually, in this environment, managed to look pretty good. So I was I expected to think, I expected this to be pretty shit, and it was decent. Mm, yeah. Um, my dick move of the night comes up next, though, because they barely give Evie two free seconds to celebrate, and then they cut to Christine viewing Kurt Angle backstage. Yeah, fair enough. Um, they did not let this soak in for long. Nope. He, I mean, uh, the blood soaked in the ring pretty well, but... Ugh. Kurt back- <laughs> backstage guarantees a win and dedicates it to Hulk Hogan. Oh, <laughs> oh boy, he really needs another win, doesn't he, brother? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we get a video package and find out that the title's vacant. Um, I had to ask you, why is the title vacant? <coughs> yes, it's what um, I was talking about earlier with Rob Van Dam. Uh, Abyss injured him oh, with yeah, Janice uh, to, so that he didn't use his, his appearances up in his contract. Of course, you did tell me that five minutes ago. I just have the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> I thought Jeff Hardy looked really rough in this video package. Yeah, it doesn't look amazing. <laughs> um, they double team on Ken Anderson first, and then Ken fights back and hits a neck breaker for a two. Um, Kurt Angle hits a double German suplex stack, so he, he grabs um, Anderson, who grabs Hardy, and they all end up German suplexing, which was really cool. Mm, made me think of the the WrestleMania 22 triple threat. Yep, absolutely. Anderson, by the way, what a fucking jobber coming out to TNA's biggest show of the year in a generic TNA cap. <laughs> yeah, the cap actually earlier in the night, I I forgot to mention this in his promo, like it shadowed over his entire face and just it was just so low rent. Oh, what a, what a dick. <laughs> Um, there was a bunch of technical issues coming into that video package as well they they show the tail of the tape too soon and then Taz and Tanae were stalling for a while and I love that Taz says they're guaranteed the champion and there'll be no tomfoolery or shenanigans (laughs) let's see how that one pans out (laughs) oh man we have a um, a suplex from Kurt, a big dive from Jeff, a top rope belly to belly from Kurt, and then Ken hits his rolling Samoan drop. Um, we get a botch on a Swanton. Kurt the angle is in the corner um, that Jeff Hardy climbs up. Anderson is lay down, and you think Jeff's going to Swanton Anderson, who moves, and Kurt seems to try to run underneath Jeff Hardy. I have no idea what the hell they were going for with that. Yeah, I think he was trying to catch him with the angle slam from midair. So like like when Jeff arcs on his back, angle would take control of the, the shoulders and the hips like the angle slam. I got nowhere near for that. 
No, he did not. I found it funny that after Anderson does his his Rolling Hills um, move, Jeff was somehow recovered enough from Kurt Angle superplexing him to break up the cover. Yeah, selling. (laughs) It either goes for 10 minutes or not at all in this match. Right. Uh, We get a shot of Dixie Carter in the crowd, and that made me worry something was up here um, before (laughs) Kurt hits a triple German uh, on each of them. Locks in the ankle lock, and then ankle locks them both at the same time, so has one of each foot in his hands. Um, They manage to roll out of it, though, using the power of all four legs. Ken hits his rolling Samoan off the second rope. Jeff breaks up the pin with a swanton bomb for a two. Angle hits the angle slam for a two and a top rope back suplex, which was awesome. Jeff hits a whisper in the wind, a twist of fate and a swanton, but Kurt breaks his pin up with the ankle lock. And then we get a mic check from Anderson for a two uh, before we see a series of roll-ups and Kurt actually hits a moonsault for once for a two count before the referee gets bumped. Uh oh. <laughs> Shenanigans are coming. <laughs> we get a mic check from Anderson, um, and then Eric Bischoff comes out with a chair. Before he can do anything with it, though, Hulk comes out on crutches. He can barely get in the ring. He had no business being at this show. I uh, guess the back surgery was legitimate. Yeah, he takes an ice age to get down the ramp and then needs two people to help him get through the ropes. Um, and of course, during this time, all three men are on the mat selling for minutes, despite the fact that if one of them went for a pin, the other would instantly pop up. These guys are lay out for about five minutes. Again, reminds me of the lockdown match with all the Bischoff and Hogan shenanigans. Yeah, it's just, it's really crap. Um, he gives Bischoff, um... Bischoff and Hogan have a crutch each and they're going to swing at each other, but Jeff comes up to break them apart. And then they give the crutches to Jeff Hardy, who uses one on each opponent, nails them, hits a twist of fate and picks up the one, two, three. And then we get Abyss and Jeff Jarrett coming out to celebrate with them. Uh, This doesn't last long before RVD comes out to ask what the hell's going on. And he gets nailed and we're reminded that it is 10, 10, 10 and Abyss's prophecy has come true. It's all come together, yeah. So they are the Bischoff and Hogan conglomerate. Jarrett's in on it, so that's what Sting and Nash and Pulp were on about. And it's what Abyss was on about at the same time. Um, Fucking RVD looked like a right mug at the end there. (laughs) He rolled in the ring and he gives it like the proper like panto. Duh, huh? Jeff, what are you doing? What? And then gets beaten off. What a mug. I know. You would not run out after that and think you're going to have a chat, would you? I know, exactly. I found it funny as well. Tanay almost instantly turned on his outrage mode. You know, like on the, the Treehouse of Horror episode with the evil Krusty doll? And they just turned the switch on the back to make him not evil anymore. <laughs> It's like someone put that switch on today. He, he was calling things pretty normally, and then he was like, "This is disgusting." It's um an interesting twist of fate here. Anyway, <laughs> see where where, <laughs> where this all pans out. Um, yeah, I they didn't. Um, I don't know. For me, like 
you just tied it up really nicely there with Nash and Sting and Pope knew this was coming and Abyss had been banging on about it and Jeff Jarrett was in on it, but they didn't really put those pieces together on the show here that well for me, in my opinion. No, it was kind of clunky and it really overshadowed the match as well. I just realised I haven't given it a rating or any kind of analysis whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, this was a this show overall was a a definite mixed bag. It started really well, and it dropped off a mountain before coming back up a little bit. It was kind of interesting overall. I think uh, matches I liked the most were the opener, the Monsters Ball, and the Lethal Lockdown. Agreed. Everything else, it, it kind of. Uh, was really variable in terms of quality and certainly not bigger show of the year material. No, no, this did not come across like their WrestleMania. Nope. So, that's both shows watched. Should we decide on a winner now? Yeah, let's get to it. All right, so first things first, we're going to talk about storylines. Um, I personally thought the WWE did a better job of their storylines because I could understand them, but there was a lot of storyline advancement on um, Bound for Glory. So which way did you fall on this? <clears throat> mm. It's a difficult one because WWE kind of hamstrung themselves here having a big gimmick pay-per-view just two weeks after a regular pay-per-view. So, like you're saying, they, they were much more palatable than TNA's stories. Um, TNA's were a bit hectic, and some of them, like the, the what was going on with Eric Young, was just nonsense. Um, but I think I've got to go with WWE by just a whisker here. Um, like he had a clear understanding of what was going on with the Kane and Undertaker feud and what the future held for that. You've obviously got Cena going to be a part of the Nexus coming up as well. Um, so they kind of like uh, outlined the future a little bit better than TNA, I thought. Fair enough. Um, now, as far as who focused the best characters or just had the best characters on their show, which way did you fall for that? Oh, this is a tough one. I think the WWE show had a pretty slender card, really. There's very few matches that all got their time uh, in and stuff. So they didn't have quite the range of stars that TNA did. Um, I think I'm going to probably go with a tie here because while... TNA featured more people. I think WWE did a, a decent job of focusing on who they had. Yeah, I could probably... I could agree with that. I think I was leaning towards TNA myself because I think they did have... Not only did they have more of their stars, but WWE clearly had a lot of their big names not on their show. So there was no Chris Jericho, no Triple H. Um, we've talked about them both being out. Um, and yeah, they had, I guess, less guys and they, you know, watched a no big show, um, no Rey Mysterio. What, 
was no CM Punk. What was jarring for me during the whole WWE match was there wasn't a tag team match on the show either. So you had less number of guys on the show. So I probably marginally went with TNA for those reasons. That's true. I think what did it for me with TNA was they cheapened a lot of their star power by just having rematches from the previous Impact. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. Um, what about crowd heat? Who do you think had the better crowd? I couldn't split this one personally. I thought they each had high points and low points with the crowd. Yeah, I couldn't split it either. I, I don't really have anything particularly notable about either crowd. They seem to enjoy lots of the shows they were given for the most part. For production value, I definitely went with WWE, as I normally do. Um, but I think there were some obvious glitches with TNA and some stuff not quite working right. So it was an easier one than normal for me. Yeah, I think I'm going to be the same here. I think it's a real shame because TNA have their new stage set up that was really, really good and really, really like uh, classy looking. But then the actual production that went around it just didn't come through. Like um, the generation me were kind of like already walking into the ring when their music started playing and things like that. And I think we all also talked about their issues with the tail of the tape for the main event too. Still a bit of a, a hodgepodge here. Definitely. And the last uh, category, as always, is match quality. I actually went with TNA myself, and I'll tell you why. Because I would personally rather watch a show with a couple of really, really good matches and a couple of stinkers than a bunch of bang average boring matches. That's just my personal opinion. WWE didn't do anything really poorly like TNA did, but TNA had some really bright spots. So what did you think about that? it's really kind of hard to split this for me because they both really had three matches that came through for them, really. They both had a really, really strong opener. They both had a fairly decent gimmick match, um, I think, in terms of Orton and Sheamus from WWE and the, um, the Lethal Lockdown for TNA. And then they both had... Uh, an enjoyable kind of back and forth match that was kind of hampered by some weird booking within the match in terms of Abyss and RVD and Cena and Barrett for WWE. So I think for me, I'm going to have to go with a tie here. TNA's worst stuff was definitely a much lower standard than WWE's worst stuff, but WWE were clearly filling time on several occasions here and I think TNA just let things go from match to match a lot better and it it helped with the whole enjoyment of the show and, and the energy around the matches. Fair enough. Okay, so that gives... Overall on the ratings, WWE slightly takes a very, very slenderest of victories on the night. Um, very, very close call this one though and... Lots to like and dislike about both shows. But overall, I thought a pretty fitting end to our little storyline run we've had here. Did you um, enjoy this as a wrap-up? Yeah, it turned out to be a, a pretty decent microcosm for all the kinds of things that we wound up experiencing during our timeline. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw some f- WWE storylines fizzling out that had great potential, some characters not being booked to the best ability, and some retreads going on. Over in TNA, we saw the throw everything at the wall and see that's what sticks approach and the general 
ruining of the knockout division. So some uh, very much a mixed bag. But yeah, you're right. It definitely epitomised what we've seen so far uh, across this this story arc we've done. Definitely. So, that is now the end, uh, for better or worse, of our 2010 storyline arc. Do you want to tell the listeners what we've got in store for them next? Well, if you can cast your minds all the way back to the first time Lee and myself collaborated, we looked at the final time that Thunder and Smackdown went head-to-head with each other, and we thought it would only be appropriate to go back and go from the very start from when SmackDown and Thunder were going against each other. So we're going to look at SmackDown and Thunder head-to-head all the way through from August 1999 to, I guess, the end of 1999 when uh, Turner chickened out. This is going to be fun. Now, I do have a question for you about this storyline before we get started. Now... I would have to check the numbers, but I think I actually reviewed two or three episodes myself of the SmackDown and Thunder. Did you want to redo them or pick up where I left off? Um, I was probably going to pick up where you left off. Oh, thank um, God. I can't, <laughs> we'll have to check. I, I could have sworn that you only did the pilot. Maybe I did. I don't know. My memory's um, definitely escaping me. I thought I'd... Oh, maybe I'm thinking... I probably did just do the pilot, actually. I think I'm thinking of my Heat vs. Thunder that I was doing. Oh, yes, that'll be it. Yeah. I've got no um, memory if well, anyone hasn't figured that out by now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, then, um, if we're going to do the genuine network premiere of SmackDown as part of our launch... Um, I think we're going to end up inviting Kyle over for a bit of a crossover because this will actually be a nice little, a neat little crossover for our little sub-series that we're doing called the Tape Trader Diaries, looking at wrestling shows that we recorded off the telly or borrowed from friends because Kyle actually recorded the first Smackdown proper. Ah, very good. This is going to be fun. Um, actually, I've got an episode of SmackDown that I mentioned to you is one of my uh, tape trader diary moments as well. So we might have to get Kyle involved with a couple of episodes yet. Mm, yeah. Um, and don't forget, what was the... Um... Oh, my God. I actually... When we get to that episode, yeah, we'll have to figure out how we cross that over because I've got a couple of tapes that I think I told you about where I definitely want to get involved when you guys get that up and running. Um there's a, a few different shows actually that I've thought about as I've wrapped my head around that. So when you guys get that series properly um, in in the flow, I'm definitely going to want to add some comments on a few myself. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we talked about it earlier at the start of this episode. We just launched our first episode in the Tape Trader Diaries series where we were looking at Breakdown 1998. That's available now on all your podcast feeds everywhere soundcloud apple podcasts spotify etc etc i've actually i one that i wanted to talk to you about um which ties in really nicely with the episode you guys just did um in 1998 when wwf got back to its real heights of popularity over here in australia we were treated to a two-hour version of the 98 survivor series not long after it aired oh okay on free to air tv yeah 
which I mean, if you, I don't know what country you're listening to around the world, but in Australia at, in the 90s, there was, I think, three main free-to-air TV channels and two like, um, I don't know the best way to describe it, kind of like more arty channels. There was a maximum of five TV channels you could get on free-to-air TV. And yeah, wrestling did not fit the bill on, on that small number of stations. And um, yeah, to get the 98 Survivor Series was amazing. And I think that's part of the reason why it's one of my all-time favorite shows. But yeah, I had that on VHS for a long time, taped directly off TV. Oh, nice. So yeah, we'll have to line that one up at some point and have a chat about that, the three of us. Mm. But yeah, looking forward to that. So we're going to look at some uh, Thunder and some SmackDown, which should be amazing. There's an episode of SmackDown, actually, that I mentioned to you as well that we'll have to get involved on that with too. But very much looking forward to it. So uh, stay tuned, everybody. We'll get started on that in the very near future. Yes, I'm very excited for this. This time period that we're going to be looking at is right just before the dawn of me becoming a wrestling fan. So it's going to help fill in a whole lot of gaps for me. Uh, amazing i cannot wait uh, but that will do it for us today thank you everybody for listening as always if you haven't yet go and check out the breakdown uh in your house version of duncan kyle's show at tnw um definitely worth a listen i listened to that a couple of days ago and found it highly enjoyable definitely yeah and make sure you go back and uh Check out all of Lee's past stuff if you haven't already. I especially loved his little parody of the really, really crap rap adverts that you get on those early 90s wrestling shows. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but that will do it for today. So thank you once again, everybody, for listening. And we'll be in touch very soon. Yeah, cheers, everyone. The end is here, the game is over, no more pretending.